0: This morning's scriptures reading continues Paul's theme of knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. Please open your Bibles to Philippians three verses twelve through chapter four verse one. And if you're using a pew Bible, this can be found on page nine eighty one. Philippians three twelve through four one. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is God's word.
1: Will you please bow in prayer with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. Would you please teach us? Would you please instruct us this morning and help us to live out what your word says this week? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, our family took a trip to South Carolina. Uh, to visit my wife Julie's family down there. And so there's me, Julie, and three kids, and we flew down to South Carolina. Uh, Two of those children were lap children. So it was quite an ordeal just getting out of the plane, let alone uh, functioning on the plane. And all I could think of the whole time is I was, you know, going to check the bags, getting through security, Um, Getting to the terminal was cruising altitude. That's what I wanted, cruising altitude, because cruising altitude is when the flight attendant turns on the microphone and says, you may now use your electronic devices, which means we can put a cartoon on for the kids to get them to stop wiggling. Um, So we hit cruising altitude. We put Dora the Explorer on for the kiddos, And then what happens? As soon as we have the chaos under control, it erupts all over again. Uh, A kid wants a snack or needs a diaper change or accidentally shuts off the show or gets bored with the show so that the most entertaining thing on the plane is the flap that opens and closes the window, which is very loud and bothers the people around you. I had in my mind that as soon as we hit a certain point, all the problems would go away. We could kick back. We could relax. But once you hit that spot, you find out very quickly that there's more to do, more work to be done. That's the message of the passage today. Uh, Look with me in chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Paul says there's no such thing as a spiritual cruising altitude. We can fool ourselves into thinking that there is. That as soon as I get my family devotions in order, get into a reading the Bible in a year program. Uh, As soon as I get plugged into a small group or an adult community, maybe find a place to lead in church, then I can finally get all those ducks in a row and I'll be good. I'll be set. I'll be fine. I can put my feet up and just enjoy what I've put together in my spiritual life. And Paul says that he doesn't put on cruise control. He doesn't put his feet up. Even Paul, he presses on More and more to gain Christ. Verse 12, he says, I have not already obtained this. Or, and he says, I press on to make it my own. What is the this? What is the it? It's the things that he was talking about in the paragraph before that we looked at last week. So in verse 10, it's the resurrection, that I may attain the resurrection. Or in verse 11. In verse 10, it's sharing in his sufferings and become like him in his death. In verse 9, it's being found in him. And all of these ultimately are brought together in these two words at the end of verse 8 in chapter 3. Gain Christ. Paul says, I have not yet gained enough of Christ. I want more of Jesus in my life. So he presses on. To gain more of Him. And tonight we're going to look at how do we do that? How do we press on? How do we not get stuck in our walk? How do we keep forging ahead to make Christ even more of someone that we know and love? To build our relationship with Him. So getting into then our passage this morning— First of all, what we're going to see is that the way we gain more of Christ is to press on, to make more of Christ our own. In verse 12, Paul says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Press on to make Jesus your own. So first of all, in this first section, verses 12 through 16, Paul gives the reason why. The reason why he presses on to gain more of Christ, it's because Jesus Christ has made him his own. So even Paul impressing on, this is not proactive. It is reactive to what Christ has done for him. It's it's a response. It's not a, a cause. It's an effect of what Christ has done for him. Jesus has taken possession of Paul. So Paul wants to take more and more possession of Jesus. Now, the fact that our pressing on is a result of Jesus grasping on to us, this is a remarkable uh, pressure reducer in seeking holiness. Because since Jesus has us, he, He's not going to let go of us. He doesn't have butterfingers. So we know that if we mess up as we press on, we're not going to slip through His grasp. This is also why. When, when Paul says, I press on, he's not talking about building another stack of good deeds. So, last week, we talked about how we're tempted to build a stack of good deeds to, to, to measure ourselves up to Christ. But Paul says here, all of his pressing on is not with his own self confidence. It's not confidence in himself, it's confidence in what Christ has done for him. So, our pressing on is not a way of earning more salvation from Jesus. It's a way of experiencing more of the salvation that is found in Jesus. That's the reason why we press on, because of Christ grasping onto us. Now in verse 13, he gives the manner. How do we go about pressing on? What does that take? How do we do that? Verse 13, he says, but, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So three ways that we do this. With a single focus, with forgetfulness, and with forcefulness. And as we get into verse 13 and 14, I want you to know that Paul is employing language from the running, the races of the Roman games. So when he says, press on, strain, goal, prize. This would have brought out images in the Philippians' minds of runners speeding around curves and coming down the stretch. And we often hear it said that the Christian life is like a marathon, not like a sprint, right? So we want to make sure that when we get into the Christian life that we are not going to think that we're going to quit sooner, this is going to be done soon, but we want to get into it for the long haul. But what we can do is with that marathon analogy, we can kind of tell ourselves, well, this is gonna take a while. I better pace myself. I better better go easy on this. It's gonna be a long jaunt here. But Paul calls us not to jog, but to run, to run with all of our might with these words. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he called the Corinthians, run as to win the prize. So we need to press on with intensity here so first of all the single focus get this when he says in verse 13 one thing i do what is that one thing he fills it out in verse 14 when he says i press on for the goal for the prize for the upward call of god in christ jesus One thing, one goal, one prize, one call, one God, one Savior. Paul has a single focus. And what we could do is when we see a passage like this that tells us to press on and to to go for Christ all the more, we might first, in our minds, think of all the things that we need to add into our life. All the things that we need to start including so that we can press on all the more. And when Paul says, He aims for one thing that really tells us that before we add stuff, we need to eliminate some stuff. What is there in our life that we could immediately exclude, that we wouldn't miss, and would open up our lives to receive more of Jesus? So that everything that we do, everything that we strive for, fits under that one banner, that one ambition. How much TV... Internet, hobbies, video games, activities, sports, or sports camps, could we and our families say no to so we can say yes to more of Christ? One thing, a single focus. When we overload our lives, we'll plod on, but but Paul calls us to press on. How do we press on? Not only with a single focus, but also with forgetfulness. Forgetfulness, Paul says, that he forgets what lies behind. So we need to figure out, what does Paul forget? What is he forgetting? And what does he mean by forgetting? What does Paul forget? I used to think that when Paul said, I forget what's behind, I used to think he was talking about his pharisaical resume that he posted in chapter three, verses five through six. All the things that, he was so proud of before he was a Christian. But digging into this passage this week, I've come to, to change my opinion on that because whenever Paul talks about the Christian life as a race, he's talking about the, the, the Christian life as such, as that union and that unity of that life. So he's never talking about everything that happened before your life when he says that we run that race. For Paul, the pistol shot when Jesus came to him at the Damascus Road. That's when his race started. And Paul says here, ever since then, I've never looked back. Paul's not wondering who's gaining on him. He's not trying to see how far he's come. He forgets what is behind in this race. So really, what does he mean by forgetting? He's talking about whatever spiritual victories he's had in his past, or whatever failures he's had in his past. He forgets those. He does not let those slow him down as he runs his race today. What sin is in your past, even as a believer, that is demoralizing you, it's slowing you down, it's discouraging you? Repent of that, Forget it and get back to the race. What really impressive good Christian deed have you done that you're still patting yourself on the back for? You can't run when you're polishing trophies. Let those trophies gather dust and get back to the race. There's so much more ahead for us. Paul forgets what is behind so he can forge on all the more. So we run with forgetfulness. We run with a single focus. And lastly, we run with forcefulness. Forcefulness. Second, or the last part here, verse 13. He says, straining forward to what lies ahead. So straining forcefully going towards the finish line. This word for straining, it it sounds kind of normal and everyday. But one commentator points out how creative and how imaginative this word was in the original and and what it would have caused the Philippians to think about in their minds. Listen to what he says. He says, This word for straining pictures a runner with his eyes fixed on the goal, with his hand stretching out towards it, and his body bent forward as he enters the last and decisive stages of the race. This is final turn forcefulness that Paul is talking about here. There was a cross country coach who used to give his runners an, uh, an award for every competitor that they passed in the last mile of the race. Because he wanted to award them for running their hardest and running their best when it counted the most. What Paul is saying here is I run my whole life like it's the last mile. I'm always straining. I'm always bending and reaching for the goal. What is that goal? What is that prize that he reaches for? That's why he's running for the prize. The prize is this full and complete gaining of Christ that he he talked about in chapter 3, verse 8. All the benefits that are for us in Christ, that we have Perfection, righteousness being found in him, the resurrection, the power of his resurrection. So Jesus himself is the prize of the upward call, that effectual call that changes our life, that regenerates us, that saves us through the gospel. And notice when Paul talks about pressing on all of his striving. He surrounds his striving with what God has done for him in Christ. He started it off in verse 12. Christ made me his own. And then here in verse 14, he says this is the upward call of God in Christ. God called him. God enlisted him. God drafted him into the race. Our pressing on is so much more about what God has done for us through Jesus than what we even do for him. And when we get a picture of that, it motivates us to run with all our might. Now you might be thinking, Eric, that's that's Paul talking here. Paul's talking about what he does. Certainly we can't ever expect to measure up to Paul's spiritual life, right? Um, I would expect that too if not for verse 15 when Paul says, all of you should think like me. Verse 15, Let those of us who are mature think this way. Growing more mature in the Christian race means that we strive for Christ all the more. Whatever holds us back, we get rid of that stuff. We put our, pri- our eyes on the prize of Jesus all the more. That's how we grow in maturity. And as we grow, as we speed up our pace, as we press on, we become a little bit more impatient to grasp more of Christ. We we, we desire more and more to know him. But when that happens, we also become less impatient towards others who have not come to our spot in the race. Look at the second half of verse 15. He says, And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So Paul says, If you're still catching on to this, if you're still figuring these things out, that's okay. God will reveal that to you. Paul leaves it up to God to to show that. Patience towards those who are not to his part in the race, but still expecting us to open our hearts to God's revelation, to be instructed in that way so that we can think more like the Apostle Paul in these things. Verse 16, he says, wherever you are in the race, live up to where you are. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. So if you're further ahead, don't act like you're farther than you are. Don't act like you're not quite as far. If you're less mature, don't act more mature than you are. Don't act less mature than you are. But whatever you have gained of Christ, whatever you've learned of him, whatever you've experienced in him, live up to that. Live up to what he has given you. Live up to what you have attained. So if you're looking at verses 12 through 16, I hope we are all convinced that the concept of a spiritual cruising altitude has no place in the Christian life. There's so much more of Jesus for us to make our own, for us to know him. So first of all, we need to press on to know him. We need to run hard to gain him. But not only do we need to kind of deal with our own inner ambition, in in these next verses, Paul is going to say that we need to watch out for the opposition. The opposition that, that comes to us as we engage in this race. Look what he says in verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ these enemies whose presence, not in the Philippian church, but around that vicinity, it's a threat to the Philippians. So Paul says, stick close to your teammates. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So how do we gain more of Christ? Because he has laid hold of us. First of all, we press on. To gain more of Christ. But then now here, secondly, we imitate those who press on to gain more of Christ. Paul says, it doesn't really matter so much who you follow. You can follow a somebody or a nobody. Look what he says in verse 17. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It's not so much about who you're following, but how they are living Find someone who you can follow and imitate as that person follows Jesus. Some ways you can do this. uh, This fall, we have our men's ministry breakfast that will kick back up. Men, come join us and find someone who can lead you on. In the fall, we'll have our women's Bible studies kick back up as well. Ladies, sign up for women's Bible study. Get involved in a small group. Find someone who's farther ahead of you in the race and let them lead you towards Christ. Students, junior high, high school, college, find an adult leader and ask them to disciple you, to take you out for a Coke or a coffee or something and talk about the word so that you can press on to know Jesus more. The reason why we have to do this is because we are natural-born imitators. It's how God has created us. He created us to reflect his glory, to reflect his image. But the problem is that because of the sin that still resides inside of us, We are compelled to imitate the sin in other people rather than the goodness. That's why he says, imitate those who walk according to this example. These people, verse 18, Paul has compassion for, he has tears for them, but they are enemies of the cross and it's apparent from how they walk. And Paul gives four descriptions of how they walk as enemies of the cross. He says, their end is destruction. Why is their end destruction? Who are these people? He's probably talking about those who were around the Philippian vicinity who claimed to be Christians but were not really true Christians because they said in order to be truly saved, you still had to hold to the old covenant Jewish ceremonies and rites if you wanted to be a complete Christian. So Paul here, he says, these people, they trust in themselves. They don't put their confidence in Christ. Therefore, their end is destruction. They don't have salvation in Christ. Secondly, here in verse 19, he says, their God is their belly. And here what he's saying is that they worship their rules. Here, the belly epitomizing the food laws. The, these so-called self-proclaimed Christians, these Jewish Christians, would say that you'd have to keep these food laws if you really wanted to have salvation. They worshiped their rules. Their God was their belly. Thirdly, they glory in their shame. So all the things that they should have been ashamed of, they boasted in. And Paul even turned these on their head back in chapter 3, verse 2, when he called them dogs and evildoers and those who mutilate the flesh, all puns on how they... Congratulated themselves, and Paul saying, No, this is your shame. What they should have been repenting of, they were bragging about. And ultimately, these all add up to this last part in verse 19 with their minds set on earthly things. They had an earthly religion. They wanted a religion that they could touch, that they could see, that they could be in control of. And therefore, it was not a religion. It was not something that offered them salvation at all. Paul says, "Walk out, watch out for these people and walk in a way according to his example. Now, I would not be doing my job this morning if I didn't ask you, are you an enemy of the cross? Is your boast in your sin? Are you rejecting Jesus, are you aimed toward the destination of destruction? This morning, receive Christ. Hear the gospel that you can start a new life by receiving him, putting your confidence in him. You can join the race this morning. Turn away from your sin. Put your confidence in Christ and in him alone. Become a friend of the cross this morning. With all this pressing on and all this imitating those who press on, we might ask ourselves, well, will we ever get the prize? Will we ever gain Christ? Is all, all we ever do? Is it just pressing on? Is it just running? Do we ever get the reward? And that is how Paul ends our passage here. We will attain the resurrection when he returns. So don't only press on. Don't only imitate those who press on, but Anticipate anticipate the day when you will have Jesus as your own. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, and the power that enable, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. These verses contain one glorious truth and three amazing promises that go with it. The glorious truth is that those who trust in Jesus are not citizens of this world. Our citizenship already resides in heaven. This, this language would have, uh, would have resonated with the Philippians because they lived in a town called Philippi with Roman citizenship. So they knew what it meant to live in one place but to be a citizen of another place. All the rights and privileges belonging to heaven had come to the Philippians. It's come to us if we've trusted in Christ. So Paul points to ultimate citizenship, not worldly, earthly citizenship. And from our citizenship in heaven comes three amazing promises. First, promise number one Jesus is coming back. We await the Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ. He's going to return. He's going to make us totally, completely, and consummately His own, even as He has already begun that. Secondly, He will grant us the resurrection, He will bring us the perfection that is found in Him. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body so that we will perfectly reflect God's image. When we get this glorious body, all of our desires for sin will be extinguished. We will not be able to sin anymore. We will fully reflect the glory that is in Christ. And then thirdly, when Christ returns, he will recreate and renew this entire world. Heaven and earth will become one. We will see Christ face to face. And everything in that world will be under his subjection, will be according to his will and according to Christ's rule. So there will be no more sin, no pain, no sorrow, no death, no sickness any more. Perhaps we could pretend that we're Baptists and say amen to that. In light of these promises and these commands, Paul concludes in chapter 4 verse 1. Saying, stand firm. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love, whom I long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. I want to highlight a word here that we would be tempted to read over. It's in the last part of this verse, 4 1, it's that little word, thus. Thus. Stand firm thus in the Lord. Stand firm in this way in the Lord. So the thus points back to all of the pressing on, all of the striving, all of the walking, all of the imitating, all of the waiting. Paul says that these are the ways that we stand firm in the Lord. You stand firm by not standing still, but by striving to gain more of Christ, by pressing on to gain more of Christ. He is our Savior who has graciously made us His own, and He will return, and He will fully make us His own in that day. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we pray along with the Apostle John, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And in the meantime, As we wait for that day, give us the power to press on towards him. One thing, just that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.